On today's show, we have Chris Voss. Chris is CEO of Black Swan Group and author of the national bestseller, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It, which was named one of the seven best books on negotiation. A 24-year veteran of the FBI, Chris retired as the lead international kidnapping negotiator. Drawing on his experience in high-stake negotiations, his company specializes in solving business communication problems using hostage negotiation solutions. Their negotiation methodology focuses on discovering the black swans, or small pieces of information that have a huge effect on an outcome. Chris and his team have helped companies secure and close better deals, save money, and solve internal communication problems. Chris has been featured in Time, Business Insider, Entrepreneur Inc., Fast Company, Fortune, The Washington Post, Success Magazine, Squawk Box, CNN, ABC News, and much more. If you wish to reach me about any of the topics covered in this episode or any other episode, email joe at jdc.e or follow me on LinkedIn under Joseph Dalton. I also need your help to spread the word. If you could please take two minutes to share, like or make a comment on this episode, I would be truly grateful. Chris, welcome. Thank you, Joseph. Happy to be on. Chris, I came across you online. I was fascinated with one of your videos, actually, and it was the video you did with Google. Ah, yeah. And it sort of resonated with me. But before we get into that, what was your inclination when you were in your teens to go, do you know what? I want to be one of the good guys. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, crazily enough, um, in in my mid-teens, I saw a movie about a couple of cops in New York City. And I, you know, I, I know what my accent sounds like, but I grew up in Iowa. I'm a small town boy from the Midwestern United States. And I saw this movie and the movie, the name of the movie was The Super Cops. And these two guys, they were just extremely creative. They had, they had a great time um, being very creative and innovative, catching bad guys, catching drug dealers, and you know, and they were working in the Bedford Stuyvesant section of New York City. And the other thing that was really cool about it, you know, like every bad neighborhood, um, it's actually still mostly good people. And you know, the good people of Bed Stuy back in those days, you know, mostly African American, low income people. I mean, the good people loved them and were on their side and didn't like the bad guys any more than the police liked them. Yeah, and I was just blown away by how creative these guys were in their approach to their job, and that that always excited me. And I got in first. I was a cop in Kansas City, Missouri, and then I became an FBI agent. And then I ended up an FBI agent in New York City, and actually ended up in Bed Stuy occasionally. So it was kind of crazy the way that worked out. Yeah, I spent a bit of time in Yonkers. I know it well. Um, I'm very fond <laughs> of New York. New you, New York is only a it's a, a skip across the. Sp- the pond as we say from over here in ireland yeah yes it is so was was it your decision to kind of go look i'm going to bring this to the masses what i've learned my training or was it was a retirement that you had in the fbi or was it just a an an entrepreneurial hunger that drove you to opening up black swan well i was always entrepreneurial my father had a small business he was an entrepreneur and i I grew up thinking in that environment I always took that attitude towards working in the police department and also for the FBI. 
But then, yeah, when I learned this stuff, I thought, you know, this stuff's too crazy. Why, you know, why should only terrorists be the beneficiary of uh, <laughs> making a difference in their lives? Yeah. And so then, and, and just trying to get better at hostage negotiation, I ended up going through Harvard Law School's negotiation course. And when I went through that class, which, I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm the only FBI agent to ever do that, mostly because I just asked, uh, I thought, you know, they said, look, you're doing the same thing we're doing. You're just doing it with, you know, in a different environment, but your skills apply to our environment too. And as a matter of fact, you, your set of skills is beating everybody here as it is anyway, so you might as well bring it to us. Has there ever been a fact that a bad guy has ever gone to learn negotiation just in case they get caught how to get out of it? Well, you know, it's crazy. I don't know any of them that studied it per se by reading it in books, but a lot of them have done it enough that they they do a lot of tactics that are similar to what's going on in the business world. It's crazy how they have a tendency to pick up the tactics of a lot of actors, if you will, that negotiate in business all the time. A lot of movies, probably. <laughs> yeah, movies or, you know, the, uh, an international uh, kidnapper... The, you know, they're negotiators. Like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Man on Fire with Denzel yeah. Washington. Yeah, I love Denzel. He's a brilliant actor. All his movies yeah. are brilliant. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? He's 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 brilliant, even if the movie is mediocre. He's yeah. always fantastic. He, he makes a good movie. <laughs> you know, but in that one, he uh, it was about kidnapping in Mexico, and he talked to uh, the voice. The voice was the negotiator on behalf of the kidnappers. I mean, that same character is exactly like a typical contracts or procurement negotiator with most businesses. You know, they're tough, they bargain really hard, they try to scare you. So there are a lot of parallels to the business world. It's interesting. I had a guest in here a couple of weeks ago, and he's a profiler. So he sits down and interviews and watches people's, first reads the expressions on their faces and reads their body yeah. language. And I was kind yeah. of going, when I was, I said, oh my God, you know, it, it, it's strange. And then and having had Joseph in and then having yourself on. Most businesses, people go in to negotiate. Is it always what's in it for me or is it what can I get away with? Yeah, you know, there are some uh, there's some that say each one. I mean, there's probably two or three, maybe no more than three or four types that you're going to face across the table once you start seeing a profile. You know, and some people, uh, an innocent approach is what's in it for me. I mean, you know, everybody asks themselves that. I mean, that's why you're negotiating to begin with. Just because you're the person saying what's in it for me, that that's not a bad thing. That's why we're negotiating. You know, there are those yeah. that are out there that what can I get away with? Uh, you know, th those people, they're really visible, but they never last long. I mean, that kind of an attitude, your reputation precedes you. And pretty soon people stop dealing with you. They find out about your tricks and nobody wants to do deals with you anymore. Yeah, you're full of BS. Yeah. Yeah. And so what sort of types of people are there then? And how does one quickly understand what type of person you're dealing with well um the you know the the they're the tough hard bargaining tough as nails hard bargaining guys you know they're going to threaten you they're going to scare you they're going to high anchor it doesn't necessarily mean they're bad people sometimes they're in a job where the job is saying look you got to you got to beat this person up you got to beat beat them down to the lowest possible price you know so you just you're patient with those people um you know deference uh, if you have to, you become basically passive aggressive. Time is always on your side. 
if you view it to be on your side. And, you know, time will kill those guys because as mean as they could be, as threatening as they could be, as difficult as they could be, they're under the same time constraints you are. They're just hoping that you get rattled and panicked first. So, you know, calm and uh, what we call tactical empathy is approach. You just tweak it depending upon who you're with on the other side of the table. Arguing back is a bad idea, you know, being... Um, mirroring their tactics or adopting their tactics, that just, that just frustrates you. They actually hope you do that because they're better at that you do anyway. Myself, personally, you know, I, I believe in empathy, not sympathy. Yeah, um, exactly. Yep. Um, and I, if, if someone comes across in an aggressive manner, I would listen to them. And then come yeah. back in, in a calm. Now, it, it took years. You know, there is a saying out there, fight fire with fire. And I disagree with that. So, Good for you. I do too. And, and like with yourself, when you're going into, say, a, a corporation or you're helping somebody or you're, you're teaching them, let's call it the tools of the trade. Is there a process that you can walk the people through? And can anybody be good at it, or do, do they have to have the right sort of mindset to be a good negotiator? Now, any, anybody can be good at it because, uh, you know, we all have the ability to get better at emotional intelligence. And what this really is is just higher levels of applied emotional intelligence, reading the other side, you know, trying to read early on, which is really important to them. And typically there's something more important than the deal. So if you figure out what's more important than the deal, you say, and it's an emotional thing, it's how they feel about it, you can figure that out, you can get a great deal. So it just takes practice. We've all, we've all got the ability to, to get good at it. And whatever your strengths or weaknesses are, you, we're gonna add, if I'm teaching you, we're gonna add to your skills. Like you might, you might be a really aggressive person. All right, so you need aggression in negotiation, you just don't need to be mean about it. Okay. Um, you might be the kind of person who loves to have great relationships. All right, so you need to have great relationships and negotiation. You just don't want to let yourself be taken hostage by that desire. But we still need to you know, focus on a good relationship. And you know, another broad type is you might be very analytical. You might want, you might love information. You might want to get as much information as you can. Well, I'll teach you that the negotiating table is the best place to get information. So instead of doing all your research in advance, I want you to do some research, but I want you to get to the table because that's the quickest, fastest way to find out what's going on. So we'll add to your skills, whatever they are. Do you think there's a difference between, and people say it to me, difference between a salesperson and a negotiator? Yeah, you know, there are fine lines. I mean, the greatest salespeople are great reads of human nature. Their emotional intelligence is really high. It, uh, the stereotype salesperson is a fast, loud talker that never shuts up, that tries to trap you with the ass and just completely relentless. You know, those people don't, those people don't make money. Um, they're real noisy. Uh, and it's real interesting. There's a, there's a lot of data out there that indicates that, you know, the, the loud, um, uh, gregarious salesperson is typically rated very high by their bosses because people think, that being loud and gregarious is a key to sales, but they don't make as much money as a slightly quieter salespeople do. It, so it's kind of crazy about how we perceive salespeople and who are really effective. 
It's interesting. That brings up a memory. I've been in sales all my life, made a, a nice income through sales. And I remember going for an interview in a, in a recruitment agency. And your man says, you're in sales. He says, yeah, you're very quiet. Says, this, is, yeah. this is me. What do you want me to do? Shout at you. And uh, yeah, th- th- that's right on it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the difference between someone who's taught and educated in sales or someone who's just winging it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the quieter people are the better salespeople. It's very, yeah. Tell us about why it's important to get the person to say yes or is it get them to agree with you? Yeah, okay, so we don't like the word yes. Yes is useless. We don't even bother with it. Okay. What we try to get people to say is that's right, which is a, a, a more, when, when somebody says that's right, they're telling you that they're really resonating with you, that they feel really good. That's right what you say when what someone has just said is the indisputable truth and you love it. That is, a, There's a two millimeter difference there. When they say you're right to you, you're right is what we say to people to get them to shut up. And But we love to hear you're right because we love to have people tell us you're right. And we love it so much we typically shut up. <laughs> uh-huh. okay. But it's a... It's a your right is probably the worst form of false agreement and misfires and bad cooperation. I mean, across the board, your right is horrible. And you got to take us, you take the approach from convincing to understanding. And it's all the difference in the world. So you get them to say, that's right and not your right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I know you'd be in an argument with someone and you go, right, you're right, and you'd wave your hand and walk off, meaning yeah. I agree with you. Look, you're right, but I disagree with what you're saying. And the other person is left there going, what the fuck is going on here? Actually, I got a that's right out of you a few moments ago. You did indeed. Are you constantly studying the person and what they're saying? Are you negotiating them? It's like myself. I always say to people in our sales and we teach people as well is to ask for someone's opinion and the reason we do is because people love opinions and we say never ask someone to think because people hate thinking when you ask someone to to think about something they have a brain overload going oh my god i have to think about something but everyone does their opinion is that the same sort of process you do with black swan uh you know that's a really interesting approach and um i haven't never heard it put that way before but i think we're experimenting with it because when you ask for somebody's opinion, you uh, you want them to give you unguarded information. You you know um, you're trying to make them feel good. I mean, people love you know to tell you things, to explain stuff to you, and, yeah. and so you tap it into a lot of honesty there. And our skills are designed to do the same thing: to tap into honesty, to start get, getting unguarded information. Which, if you ask them, you know, to you know to think they become more guarded and, and it's less honest. So, yeah. uh, you know, that I hadn't heard that tactic before, but you're driving at the very same thing that we're trying to do, which is getting, you know, honest, unguarded information. And also asking people a question. Ask them, is it all right to accept you to ask them a question? I think is very important as well, because that lowers the, the, their guard. Well, yeah, you know, and it makes people feel a lot more autonomous. I mean, that that's... That's a great way to respect their autonomy, which is a fundamental driver of human nature. 
And when someone feels like that their autonomy is being respected, then they have a tendency to, to be much more willing to collaborate. I'm just going to take a short break. Are you looking to boost your performance? Motivate your sales team? Have an all-round structure to your marketing? Get in touch with myself at Breakthrough Brands or contact me at joe at jdc.ie. So, Chris, what's the most memorable negotiation tactic that you learned that you had that ha-ha moment and used in the corporate world? Well, um, you know, there's a couple of different ones. I mean, there was a, in, a, in a bank robbery in, in Brooklyn. Um, the, ba- the bank robber caught me off guard a couple of times. And what I did was, you know, because I was caught off guard, I just mirrored what he said. And mirroring is just repeating, you know, one to three words of what someone has just said. I mean, like word for word. Yeah. And what it has a tendency to do is it causes people to blurt stuff out and to add more information. Now, now this guy actually was the exact uh, profile of a really cagey, powerful negotiator who's really in charge, but he's hiding that he's in charge. He was really calm and he kept talking about, you know, I don't have any influence on these other guys inside the bank. I mean, these guys are a lot more dangerous than I am. I mean, he was really, he wouldn't take responsibility for anything. And that's what a smart negotiator at the table does. He's always talking about, ah, you know, I don't have any power. I don't have any influence. I got a board of directors. I got a boss. I got a CEO. You know, they're always pointing to people that are away from the table, so to speak. They're very guarded and very controlling and very smart. There's a lot of people in the business world out there. You can't get a a singular personal pronoun out of them. You know, they will not say, I want this. They, They will never say that. Um, there's like these guys. Uh, and so with a guy that was that guarded, I mirrored and he blurted out some stuff inadvertently about a bank robbery that had actually gotten away. Uh, he said, you chased my driver away. And I said, we chased your driver away. He said, yeah, when he saw the police, he cut and run. Like we didn't even know there was a third guy that was involved until he said that and ended up getting that guy convicted in court because of this spontaneous admission. And that one we use in business a lot because obviously people are guarding information from you. And if you just innocently repeat a couple of the words that they just said without realizing it, they'll start blurting stuff out. It's kind of a correcting thing also, like what you talked about before. People are unguarded when they're, when they're correcting. So this mirroring is the simplest skill. It's the most awkward if anybody, somebody has never mirrored before. And a hostage negotiator's mirror is not the body language mirror that everybody knows about. It's mm-hmm. not putting your hand to your chin when they put their hand to their chin. It's just a repetition of the one or three words. And, and we got some people, that's all they do in their business negotiations because it gets so much information. I know and if you're in a sales process and at the end of that sales process, you recap everything that the conversation was about and yes we do when we're talking to people they will say look I'm looking for A, B and C and you will then go yeah okay so just let me get it right you're looking for A, B and C and that's mirroring and that brings the rapport really on so is, is, right. it, is it building a rapport the rapport without sending it off into Mars and keeping it on that sort of same sort of timeline till you get them to say that's right yeah, it's it's all of the above. Um, people feel much better when you repeat back what they've said. Um, they, it's if you if you get it right, they feel very satisfied. If you get it wrong, which is also cool too, because then they start 
correcting you and giving you more information and clarifying, dumping tons of information on it. Yeah, so it does all those things at the same time. It's all about listening. I think if you sit down with someone and get them to talk and like for ask them a couple of questions and get them to talk and yep. just sit there, you, you get so much information, more than you actually were expecting to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons people love to be listened to is nobody does it. I mean, they, people get talked over so much. So, you know, it's a really liberating moment for somebody to finally have somebody to listen to them. They've been dying to get listened to, and they will give you tons of information if you let them. Here's one for you. Do you ever feel this, that you're going in to negotiate with a company, right? Right. And the company decides not to use you. And always in the back of your mind going, God, I have to get this deal because... I'm a negotiator. It's like we teach sales training and you know, we you don't get every sales company taking you on on board, but when you're speaking to them first, they expect you to be so amazing that you're going to trick them to say yes. Yeah, no, you know, we we don't there's a couple of things we believe in that we just don't even get to into that dynamic. You know, first of all, we believe that no deal is better than a bad deal. And the company what the company might be a bad deal. Um, they might be super high maintenance. Yeah, dump them. Uh, and which then is going to kill your productivity and your profitability because dealing with them is going to be such a pain in the neck and takes so long. Yeah. And, you know, they might they also might be trying to play you off against another company. We do this thing, we, we call it proof of life of the deal. And we get proof of life of the deal right up front and we don't even bother because no matter how good we may be, Somebody else might have the inside track with them, and and we got we got no opportunity for a deal. There's no they'll, they'll never make the deal with us. We'll be the fool in the game, and we get that information right up front because you know we don't we don't play we you know we don't play that game. We don't, I don't we don't allow ourselves to be the fool in the game. John, I learned I learned that lesson a long long time ago, um, and sometimes I. I, I do get tricked in where you're speaking and you spend all the time and they go well look we've been speaking to or three different companies and look if you're speaking to two or three different companies I'm wasting my time um, and sometimes I think is it a bit arrogant or is it going to go look I'm, I'm not in this for a pissing race excuse my language but I'm in yeah. it to, to help you and if you're not if you're not interested in me stop wasting my time and go go figure it out with someone else you should have done your research before you got in touch with us yeah, yeah, that that happens an awful lot. Now we'll 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 try to exit gracefully and elegantly, but we will exit early, or or, or if they if we just stop talking to them, you know. Typically, I you know I had a um, uh, a couple of emails from a major international carrier, uh, airline carrier, uh, probably about six seven months ago, you know, and I smelled that they were trying to play us off against the favorite just to drive the favorite's price down. I just, I just, I said, you know, we're not doing it. We're not interested. Yeah. And that was it. Thanks for thinking about us. You were very generous. You, it's wonderful that you thought about us at all. But you know, let me know um, when the situation's different. How do you help companies? Do you have online training courses, or do you? Is it individual that you go in and do a week training courses with people? What is the the offer that you have? Well, a specific company, um, if it will come in, we can do a day or two of training with them. We prefer to do two. We'll do a, a pre-call with them to talk to other people to, to get some specifics of what they're dealing with so that when we sit down with the training, we'll have everything adapted and tailored for them. And we'll also give them some ideas in advance of what to be thinking about and trying. So then we'll come in and we'll do the training, and then we'll do anywhere from one to three follow-on calls, which are basically 
um, coaching sessions and uh, and applying what we've taught them in their specific deals because a day or two of training as a standalone is a waste of a company's money and everybody's time. It just goes away. We've got uh, we've got some some supplemental materials that we give people. We uh, we got a, a, a short concise training course. It's delivered via email that comes out one one lesson a day for 24 straight days that's trying to get you past the three-week mark which typically takes about three weeks to adopt a new skill let's get on the chat it, and I, then we've got a bunch of online stuff that we're building that we're going to have ready later this year i, I liked a new website as well um, oh thank you yeah, very much yeah I, maya stevenson um our director of marketing worked really hard on that yeah it's it's a, it's a nice site tell me is it subconscious? Do you know where we live in the conscious and we live in the subconscious mind? And like myself, I'm skilled in Wing Chun martial arts and through practice of using forms, you automatically do something. That, was a, that, was, a, that was a rock band from the 80s, wasn't it, Wing Chun? Wang Chong, Wang Chong, <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. Tell us this. Do you try and drive it into the person's mind so it's natural to them. It hits into their subconscious mind, so they get it all the time. We're affecting that, absolutely. Because I, there's one thing about training and sales training courses. You know, people do a sales training course, and they go brilliant, and they, and, and they do it for one day, and they leave, and they try what they learn for one day for 10 minutes the next day, and then they go back to doing what they normally do. So, yeah. and, and that's why I believe a course should be done over a period of time and there should be role play and driving through on it. Is that what you're doing as well? You're going in and kind of go, okay, this is what you do. And then you're saying, let's try and drive this into your mind, that you, into your subconscious yeah, yeah. mind. Yeah, repetition is the mother of skill, right? Yeah. You can't just repeat it for one day. So, yeah, but then, then we also, you know, there's a lot of information. We get so much more about neuroscience these days. We give people specific information as how long it's going to take because they're going to say, all right, I'll do it, but how long is it going to take? And in any given skill, somewhere along uh, the line of about 63 executions of that skill, you'll, you'll burn it into your brain. You'll build the neural pathway, however you've done the repetition. Yeah about 63 tries, which is also comes close to the ballpark of about takes three weeks to get something. So we say, look, just, you know, you do this, you do this right 63 times and it's built. That's how long it's going to take. But it's, yeah, it's going to be over more than one or two days. You got to keep practicing. Objections, let's call them smoke screens to find out the true, what the true objection is. But I also say that you can never get past someone's true objection if it's a real objection. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, it, you know, both those things I agree with. Objections often a smokescreen. What we, what we teach people is an objection is a counteroffer in disguise. Yeah. So, like if I get a, a, and this happened in one of our sieges, we we got a guy who's threatening to blow up the middle of Washington D.C. He didn't have any bombs, but he said he did when he got there. So we're getting ready to get him out. He says, "I'm not, I'm not, you're not handcuffing me." You know, his objection was being handcuffed. And the negotiator initially blurted, blurted out to him, ah, you know, we got a handcuff here. And, you know, I called the timeout. And our next timeout, I said, he brings that up again. Then what you have to say to him is, all right, so if we don't handcuff you, does that mean you're going to come out? So you take an objection and you say, okay, so if we fix this, does that mean we have a deal? 
that tells you whether or not it's a true objection. Because if it's a smokescreen, they're gonna they're gonna say, well, you know, here's really what the problem is, and you get right to it. But you get to it in a way that instead of trying to beat up their objection, you you treat it as if it's a collaborative counteroffer, and then they're much more likely to tell you the truth about it. Yeah, it's like when we get an objection, we'll say, we understand the objection. Again, do you mind if I ask a quick question? It's just supposing that wasn't an issue. Then, in your opinion, would you feel it might be the, the, the proper path for you? And you'll always then get another smokescreen coming up. And so I think there's a lot of wordplay involved, and the, yeah. the skill in negotiation is wordplay um, and keeping your calm all the time. What what's the future for for uh, your company, Chris? Yeah, we're coaching more and more, literally, all over the world. the The book Never Split the Difference is now in I think twenty countries and sixteen languages. I mean, it's literally around the world. And there are hostage negotiators or people that understand the emotional intelligence concepts that we're we're connecting with around the world. So we're we're helping everybody wherever you live, get better at negotiation. We're having a ball doing it. Do you, do you know who the best negotiators are? Uh, I'm interested in hearing your opinion on that. Small children. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll go along with that for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is, you know, they're, they're very resilient. They, you know, they don't, get, they don't get mad at themselves the way your grown-ups do. They've nothing to lose. They've yeah. got to lose when they want something and they'll knock you down and knock you down until you give in. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're the best. I've learned so much from my children. I've learned so yeah, much. Yeah, they're relentless. Yeah. The book and doing the Google talk, like I say that really sort of helps you with your business as well, getting into Google and speaking. Google's European headquarters is here in Dublin. I'd love to see you over here sometime doing keynotes. You're, you are doing a lot of keynotes at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, I'm doing a lot of keynotes. It's it's a lot of fun, um, you know, because uh, I'll give a talk and, and, and it'll be fun. I like to fire people up and then not just fire them up, but also give them things they can actually do to help themselves get better. You're very active on LinkedIn now as well. You're, you're popping up a lot of articles. If a company is looking to find yourselves, where can they find you? What what information can they find you online? What a web address, what email? Give us some details there, Chris, please. Yeah, the, the website is blackswanltd.com. Now, we've got a, uh, a blog, that a uh, newsletter blog that we put out once a week. And you can go to the website. It's called The Edge to sign up for that. And, and The Edge is free. So, and we've got a lot of stuff on the website that's free. And, and we've got other ways how to get in touch with us. Um, uh, products that that we we're going to ask you to pay for also. Yeah. But the the real first step is really to sign up for the for the newsletter because then you get updates on when we're doing training, you get updates on new new material that we have, and you get a short sweet article every week that will help you get better. And it's not a long article; like it doesn't you know you don't have to take a nap after you read it. It's very easy to to digest. So go to the website, sign up for the Edge. And that's the gateway to all the good stuff that we have. Like the art, I, I I do read your blogs when they when they come out, and they're they're short or sweet, but the the message is direct on them as well. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's we want to make it digestible so people can use it and get on with their day. Yeah. Um, tell us what is the best business advice that you've ever received. You know, it's probably. Um, 
take a long take a long term view. I mean, take you know, a lot of people are pressing so hard for deals right now. They say, look, you know, start planning out for what's going to happen six to eight months from now. Yeah. And I remember when I first started the company, I was thinking six to eight months. I got bills now. Yeah. But as soon as you start taking a little bit more patient approach, which then also means you're not trying to say yes to everything right now. You're saying no to a lot of stuff. Then your business um, six to eight months is going to come. And at that point in time, you're in this great pipeline. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I think a lot of people when they're starting off a business and you know the entrepreneurs they they're trying to figure out what's happening. I need to get some income now, but it's a long game. It's a long game, and and that's it's why the game. first the first three to five years for any company is hard. Yes. Um, yeah. And, exactly. And if you can get over those sleepless nights and the worries and understanding what what direction, like I, I've realized a business starting off in the first year in the fifth year has probably taken a whole different direction. Yeah, good point. Exactly right. They, 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 they've gotten organized. They built a pipeline. They built a following. Yeah. It's lasted yeah. five years. It's a new creature, and they've done great work. They've done something really cool. Yeah. Where can people get your book? Uh, Amazon is the best, the best place. The best place. Okay. Amazon has, has consistently got the best price on the book. And, you know, they got they got the best delivery system out there. I mean, we, we love Amazon. So Amazon, the Amazon pricing is 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 the best price. That's where we buy our books. I yeah. just I just bought 10 of them the other day on Amazon. And and do you also do is that an audible as well? Are you doing an audible version? It is an audible. It's audible, Kindle and um, hardcover. It's, uh, you know, they have a saying that if a book comes out in paperback, it's because it didn't sell as a hardcover. And our book is still in hardcover. And it actually just made uh, the list of the top 20 most read books on Amazon. Just yesterday, it was number 18 of all the books on wow. Amazon, the wow. 18th most read book of in the pretty much entire world. That's going to open up a lot of keynote speaking for you. Really? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Is, gotta yeah. get the word. Spread the gospel. Yeah, I try and read as many books I can each month. So you're you're on my list for next. Got to keep feeding the brain, right? Yeah, definitely. Look, we're coming to the end of the show, Chris. Um, I ask everyone about a song, and I'd like to you to pick a song so we can play out with it. And uh, the well, reason you're picking that song. Yeah, you know, uh, it's a it's a band that you probably never heard of. I'm a huge fan of them. They're very obscure. It's U2. Oh, my my favorite band, my favorite band. And uh, the the Saints are coming. U2 and Green Day. It's tough for me to pick a favorite U2 song, but that that's one of the ones that I love playing when I, when you know when I get want to get fired up. I want to get jazzed up. So I, I like that song. If you ever get a chance to come over to Ireland, I would love to show you Dorky and bring you for a scoop. Um, and and show you where you might even catch Bono walking the dog. Oh, well, that, that, that's on my list then. then. <laughs> on, the yeah. list, on the list. Chris Voss, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks for giving us the time today. I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I have. And, I have. Uh, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you very much.